This episode of Show Me the Meaning is brought to you by Movie, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared, and with me is the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Ryan. Hey, film fans, this movie sucks. <laughs> and Austin. Yo. And joining us today is uh, one of our writers and researchers, our resident comic book expert, Matthew Terrialt. How's it going, Matthew? Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the pod, man. Welcome back. Well, last time we had Matthew on was for Avengers Infinity War, and I think he was the only one that the fans liked because he loved the movie. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be for that reason they don't like me today. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's why we brought you on because uh, this is Ryan's favorite movie, by no, the way. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, guys. So, guys, so today we're talking about Batman v Superman, directed by Zack Snyder, starring Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill. Cavill? Which one is it? Well, Cavill. All right, whatever. But before we get into it, want to give a shout out to the people that have been giving us reviews on iTunes. So we're at 496 right now. Ryan, Holy have you shit. figured out what we're doing for 500 yet? Yeah, we well, we talked behind the scenes about having a call-in show, right? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to do that? So I, we'll, I think that could be interesting. We'll yeah. have like the people, maybe the reviewers call in, mm -hmm. we'll ask us questions, talk about movies you like. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe we'll have more of a structure, but yeah. Yeah, I just wonder if we're going to have enough callers to fill in 50 minutes, but maybe... I, I mean, what I was thinking is we would do kind of like what we did with the Squanch where we had everyone's favorite episode. Like, we start doing a series of everyone's picks for either best or worst movie ever. Okay. So, so like, thinking, get, like, get call-ins to say what, they're, what they think the best movie ever it is? It could be, yeah. Or we could just have a whole call-in episode uh, for what you think the best movie is, and you pitch it, and we try and argue for or against it. That could be fun. I like that. Oh, yeah. That's creative. easy. And then if there's dead time or dead space or something like that, then we could just offer up our own and talk shit to each other. Yeah. We could do that. All right, guys. So uh, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. So the people have been leaving us. So this one is by someone called Love This Show. He says, it's absolutely scrum to lesson. If you love thought-provoking, meaningful, and fun conversations about films, listen to this show. Thank you, Love This Show. Uh, this is by this is from a Bucks regular. He said, after years of enjoying various wisecrack reviews and analysis of films and cinema, we have a proper cinema-based podcast. Thank you. This one is from BN Blake. Thanks for making my commute something I look forward to. You are welcome. That's something very meaningful to me as well because commutes can be rough. Mm -hmm. And this last one is from Q Quirt Qwert. He said, Austin, Ryan, and Jared make up make the best trio since the Three Musketeers and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, thank all you. For all for one and one for all. So <laughs> so thank you guys. We're at well, last time we were at like four sixty eight, now we're at four ninety six, so it's been climbing. We're close to five hundred and we promise we'll do something special for you guys. So thank you, thank you again. But without further ado, we're gonna talk about Ryan's favorite movie, Batman v Superman. <laughs> Uh, so let's go ahead and <laughs> get some perfect. first impressions. Ryan, why don't you go first and, you know, try to hold yourself back from saying too many good things about it. Well, I have a prepared statement. If that oh, yeah, <laughs> please, please. Okay. Um, um, as the great Roger Ebert once said, I hate, 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 hate this fucking movie. <laughs> For countless reasons I would be happy to go into later. But I think everything I hate about this movie is encapsulated in the first moments of the movie. Here we are. It's fade in. And we hear Batman. We've never heard Ben Affleck's Batman before, but we hear him say these words. There was a time above, a time before. There were perfect things, diamond absolutes, 
But things fall, things on earth, and what falls is fallen. In the dream, it took me to the light, a beautiful lie. And then it cuts to his parents' death scene for the third time in cinema history. But right off the bat, I have no idea what the fuck Batman is talking about. <laughs> so if something falls, it has fallen, right? So I'm sure Jared's going to talk, explain to us, you know, how if we follow all the needlessly obtuse dialogue in this three-hour movie, it will make perfect sense. But I don't feel like I should have to work that hard to decipher a movie called Batman versus Superman. <laughs> and that first moment about sums up the whole movie for me. It's an endless succession of me saying, wait, what did Batman just say? What is happening in this movie? Why is everyone so angry? Aren't comic book movies supposed to be fun? Why are they talking so much? <laughs> So very, very similar to the Matrix Reloaded episode, they crammed about an entire hour's worth of needless expository dialogue and made the most boring, tedious, joyless, <laughs> relentlessly gloomy, pretentious, repetitive, dismal, and completely anticlimactic slogs of a movie slash very expensive toy commercial that I've ever been subjected to watch. And somehow, by the end of it, against all odds, and a movie called Batman vs. Superman. I did not give a shit about Batman or Superman or about who would win in the fight between them. I just wanted to leave. Now, if you remember, we saw this movie sort of together. Do you remember that? Yeah. We went to the Vista. We didn't even know we were in the same theater. And then we saw each other outside. And you said, fuck that movie. And do you remember what I said? What did you say? I don't, I'm asking if you remember. You don't remember? I, I feel like you were kind of more on my same page, and then somehow you've, by working on all these videos about it, you've, like, come to this conclusion that it's good somehow? No, I, I said, I thought it was interesting. I didn't hate it. Okay. Um, but real quick, I want to give a shout-out to Joy, our producer, who did God's work by, you know, she always sends out the movie for everyone to listen, and she sent everyone the three-hour version. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joy. Yeah, just so Ryan could bask in all the Batman v Superman he could possibly oh, swallow. that was a conscious choice. Thanks, oh, yeah. Joy. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Joy. I feel personally attacked that yeah. Jared asked me to watch this again, by the way. He knows how much oh, I hate Jesus. it. Jesus. <laughs> okay, well, this is quality entertainment. All right, Ryan. Well, you know, this is the first time that Ryan has been moved to write something mm -hmm. down. Yeah, I prepare for this. For, to prepare for this podcast. <laughs> I think that's saying something. So I think, yeah. Sorry if it was a little long. No, no, no. It was good. All right. Uh, Austin, what about you, man? I know you said this is the first time you finished watching the movie. Is that correct? Yeah, I turned it off like 45 minutes in the last time I watched it. So... I didn't remember that it was three hours long. So I was like, all right, so I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this movie. I figured it was going to be like 2.20 or something like that. And I looked at the time bar at the bottom, and it said 3.03. And I said, what the fuck? So I actually had to Google it. <laughs> I had to Google it to see if that was like maybe that you guys sent me the intentionally long director's cut or something because I wondered that. Yeah, and, well, would, he, uh, would we do that? Yeah. So, But it, it's not a good movie, man. It's, it's clearly <laughs> Zack Snyder's attempt at – doing a film version of the theory of everything he wants to do like geopolitics and mythology and cosmology and theology and political theory and theory of human nature and he wants to wrap it all up into a superhero film where people are overacting they think they're tougher and cooler than they are and they're all fucking caricatures of past film people they're not actual interesting characters so i thought this is actually just a it's like i agree with everything ryan said and more it's Thank not you. a good movie and it's okay, three but... hours long. And it shouldn't be. 
Were you surprised that a movie called Batman v Superman aspired to do all these things you just listed? No, because the Dark Knight, I think the trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy does things similar to this. And I feel like that's what Zack Snyder's trying to do. He's trying to emulate somebody who has a far better grasp of, let's say, intellectual history in a, in a way exactly. that is a little bit more a little bit more refined. And Snyder just unfortunately didn't have the tools at his disposal to be able to do so with this script. So I have a theory on that. But before I get into that, I want to hear Matthew. Matthew's thoughts, and I think they're going to be quite different from your guys's. so go for it, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, pretty much antithetical. Uh, so I saw it on opening night, and I read no reviews. I got no feedback whatsoever. It was just me seeing the movie, getting my own opinion, wrote down my review the very next morning, and this is how it ended. Batman v Superman is the best superhero movie since The Dark Knight and a better Easter movie than Gibson's Passion of the Christ. It is Miltonic in its message and scope, seeking to justify the ways of God to men, doing so with drama on a truly epic scale. I so, agree about Passion yeah, of the Christ. I, I stand by that. To this day, good, good. and I would say even after all the Marvel movies that have come out since, it is still the best superhero movie since The Dark Knight. I think it is laser-focused as a theodicy, and it has that one thing that it's talking about, and it makes a compelling case. I love it. Matthew, do you think that this movie was made specifically for you? I mean, how many people do you know who are as into comics as you are and who has studied religion? Uh, if not specifically for me, I could not think of a more target audience than myself for this movie. Was this right. the film that they intentionally were screening through churches, or was that Dawn of Justice? This, well, this, this is, is Dawn of Justice. So I did not know that they were intentionally doing that, but I'm not surprised in the least. My bad. I meant, I meant Man uh, of Steel. Oh, I don't know which one. This is the first I'm hearing about Because, that. see, for me, I have a serious problem with that because it's just extremely cynical. So as somebody who grew up in the church and who was studying to be a pastor for a very long time, this is extremely offensive to me, even though I, I'm not still as involved in, let's say, like the confessional church. Um, I'm still very much attached to the American evangelical or, let's say, Protestant community. And I just find that to be so cynical because it's a cash grab. So it's like when Trump says that his favorite book in the world is the Bible just so that he could get votes. Like, that to me is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's being a false prophet. That's a sin against the Holy Spirit. That's evil. That's bad. Wait, but I don't think that they were going after the uh, the blind side, the passion of the Christ people or, or that that demographic for this movie is that what you're saying that no, they're just making that's, it that's what they did they did pre-screenings they've done this a couple of times with super superman films where they've done pre-screenings in churches and in order to make sure that they solidify the kind of coalition of american churches around the country and i don't remember if it was this one or if it was man of steel but uh it might have been this one because there is the idea of like you know the death and resurrection illusions at the end um, if that's the case, and, and I don't remember if it was this one or, like I said, the Man of Steel one, but either way, I mean, I, I just think it's extremely cynical and I find it highly offensive. I actually have the exact same background as you, Austin. I'm also a seminary dropout that, you know, I've kind of left Christianity behind. I'm a deist now, but I'm still very close to all the Christian communities, especially here at Rutgers. Uh, I don't find that cynical at all. Me I find neither. the character of Superman because his intrinsic characteristics of the fact that he is perfectly good like he's this moral exemplar and the fact that he is so overpowered make it just an obvious connection to draw with the idea of god as you know omnipotent and omnibenevolent and you can't help but make that connection and despite the fact that you know he has these jewish creators 
the whole secret identity where it's this godlike being walking among men as a man, humbling himself, that just invites the Christ connection. So there's almost no way to do a good Superman story without inviting those metaphors. So lean into them. And Superman is not a relatable character because of those immutable characteristics of his power and his goodness. He doesn't have any kind of psychological complexity. He doesn't have any real physical threats that are going to threaten him. So... If you want to make him an interesting character, you don't relate him to man, you relate him to God, and you do a theological take. Uh, and I think that's what this movie did. That's why it was such a successful Superman story. Austin, you say that you're still connected with the evangelical community. Do Did it work? Did Does this movie resonate with them? I, I mean, I, you'd have to ask them. Um, I can see why it would appeal at a like libidinal or emotional level, which, again, to me, I, I just find to be a little bit insidious. Because it's not like it's actually a piece of art that's trying to appeal, especially if it's made by a guy who's a, a hardcore Randian who clearly then would be an atheist. And I think that you see these interesting themes that he – I think he thinks he's trying to explore this crisis of faith, like what happens if God is wandering among us sort of questions. I just don't think he has the, the philosophical acumen to do so in a way that's – intriguing like there's no Kierkegaardian crisis of faith there's no last temptation of Christ kind of doubts there's no Pasolini exploration in uh, in the gospel according to Saint Matthew there's nothing I think that is truly interesting that hasn't been explored in other media that uh, that, that <clears throat> Snyder's trying to pull off here so I don't know if it was successful but I could see how it would be I just and I get what Matthew's saying I can see I can see the attempt I guess for me it's just it just strikes me as being a cash grab and that he's appealing to the emotional investments of people. And to me, that's highly problematic. I don't find it evil to market movies to Christians. But but going back to your point a second ago about uh, both of y'all bringing up the Dark Knight, and specifically the word you use, Matthew, laser-like focus. Because I would, <laughs> I would argue that the Dark Knight is, has so packed full of ideas, you know, jam packed. But aside from a few of Joker's monologues, there's, you know, it's, it's the ideas come through in the action in the decisions that every character makes. It's driven. Whereas Batman vs Superman is what I would say, whatever the opposite of the word laser like focus is, it's so many drawn out monologues where they just are telling you point blank what they want you to get out of this yeah, movie. So actually, and that's what I hate about it. Matthew, so I'm excited to hear what your take is on the laser like focus. Matthew. So, okay, I, so I use that phrase specifically in contrast with Snyder's previous Superman movie, Man of Steel, because there was three motifs that you had all competing with each other in that movie. You have Superman as like the American immigrant coming from the old world which is literally an old aging world, but it's also very much like Europe with its uh, hierarchical society coming to America, you know, where a man can be whoever he wants to be. But then you also have the idea of the environmental metaphor where, oh no, they drilled too much. You have this uh, climate change that literally destroys the planet Krypton, and that's the threat that is going to Earth with the terraforming. But then you also have... Uh, the Christological motif where, okay, you do have this perfectly good man that is, you know, from the heavens coming down, living as a man, and they all kind of get in each other's way. This one does not seem to have anything else except for just the Christ motif, just the theodicy, just Luther demonstrating the problem of evil on this massive scale. 
So that's why I say it's laser-like focus in comparison to thematically, it's 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 more focused than the previous one. I think we can all agree on that. But the execution, the execution. I mean, uh, so my criticism of this movie is actually something that uh, Matthew. I read your, I reread your review. Actually, Matthew, a uh, little wisecrack trivia. Matthew sent me that review over an email before I even knew him, and it was because of this review that I was like, "Hey, man, yeah, cool. Let's give the man a writer's test." And then he became a writer for us. Uh, but he, you even said it in the review that a lot of the subtext is just text, and that's my biggest problem with this movie is uh, that to me this is a lot of the same problems with The Matrix Reloaded that we talked about is that there's not a lot that's happening. A lot of this movie is just Superman trying to figure out what he should do. It's, 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 it's a real tragedy because they take the premise very seriously. They very aptly explore the philosophical ramifications of both Superman and Batman, especially more in the extended edition, basically just to what Matthew was saying. The questions this movie asks about a world where there is a Superman are the right questions to ask. It's just not very well-paced and not very well-dramatized. And what Ryan was alluding to earlier and how I've had kind of differing opinions about this movie, I mean, I'll say this, it's a ballsy move to try and make a successful movie that's successful in the same reason that the dark knight was successful i mean that movie is a home run it's a hail mary that happened to land and especially in the time where the dceu saw how marvel was able to be so successful on such a large scale by you know trying to be comedic and uh, do all these things that they were very good at they said no we're going to take the opposite route we're going to be dark and gritty and they went for it man but this is just <laughs> kind of a yeah like when i watched it this time i was pretty bored you know and i think but but that first time i watched it in the theater when you were there i was at least like wow they're really going for it you know they're really trying to make something thoughtful i didn't think they would and they are and and for that reason i was engaged just out of curiosity like like what are they doing here Hmm. you know but 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 upon rewatching it it's 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 a rough watch it's difficult Something about it is just not very well dramatized. I, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to say what it's not tight. It doesn't flow well. Something about it is it makes it it's it's a it's a it's a true wisecrack tragedy in the <laughs> canon of The Matrix Reloaded right. and all these movies that have such grand intellectual ambition that potential that yeah that that I want to say hats off for. I want to give Zack Snyder an award for trying, but man. I love Zack Snyder. We both yeah, do. Yeah, me and me and Ryan love the Watchmen movie. Yeah, and I think I think Matthew, you're into Likewise. it too. Yeah, that movie's awesome. Very much so. And the Dawn of the Dead remake. All right, great. guys, let me uh, go into a recap and then we can get back into it. All right, so and I think that this recap, I've actually I learned a lot doing these recaps, and I think this recap is relatively short for a three-hour movie, and I think we'll see a lot of why it's so hard to watch because there's really not that much to say. I like Garrick's so, Wormuloid I- in his video. He says plot <laughs> with air quotes, and I think that's the best way to qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Ben Steiner who wrote that episode was pissed off at me for making him watch it. <laughs> um, anyway, all right. So after Zod's catastrophic attack on Earth, humanity is more skeptical than ever of Superman. The government and society at large question how much they can trust him and if they can slash should level checks against him. Lex Luthor tries to get his hand on Kryptonite to deter against Superman should he go bad, supposedly, while Clark Kent investigates Batman's civil rights violations. Batman steals Lex Luthor's Kryptonite and decides to kill Superman for 
more or less the same reason as Lex. All the while, Superman doesn't know what to do. Should he try to be humanity's savior or just care about Lois and his family? Is it possible for him to do both? Lex assumes control of Zod's ship, then kidnaps Clark's mother and blackmails Superman into fighting Batman in order to prove that such a figure cannot be all good. Batman gets the upper hand, but when Superman reveals that his mom, who shares the same name with Bruce's late mother, has been kidnapped, Batman decides not to kill Superman and help him save her. Inside Zod's ship, Lex births a new being that starts wreaking havoc on the city. So Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman challenge it to little effect. It's not until Superman takes up the kryptonite spear and sacrifices himself that the monster is destroyed and humanity saved. As they mourn the death of Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman recognize that things aren't likely to get any better and that they need to create a team of metahumans to be ready for the next attack. End of movie. Then dirt floats the end. And dirt floats the end. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. Let's start this off since Matthew is definitely the biggest fan of this movie. And Matthew brought up the word theodicy. Can you tell us, define that? What does that mean? And uh, how does this fit that definition? So a theodicy is an attempt to reconcile uh, divine omnipotence and divine omnibenevolence with the existence of evil in the world. That's what we mean by the problem of evil. And Lex himself actually says this like verbatim. He brings it up. Uh, he says uh, when he's taunting uh, Superman, Boy, do we have problems up here. The problem of evil in the world. The problem of absolute virtue. The problem of you above all. Because that's what God is. I figured out a while back, if God is all-powerful, he cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. And so, if you believe in God that is like the classical theistic conception of God, you have to figure out, well, how... How do you solve this equation? How do all these things fit together in the world? And the classic Christian conception, uh, which I think is what is being kind of affirmed here in the movie, is that God voluntarily humbles himself. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain, which is another phrase for the problem of evil, he says, The world is a dance in which good, descending from God, is disturbed by evil arising from creatures, and the resulting conflict is resolved by God's own assumption of the suffering nature which evil produces. And the reason I think that this movie affirms the Christian theodicy is because everything that Superman does is really just the passion play. He's working out the stages of it. And so the fact that he's not like Lex Luthor offering this grand theological statement, you know, he's just staying silent, that doesn't mean, you know, he doesn't have an answer. The answer is in the structure of the movie itself, where he humbles himself. He goes before the Pharisees in Washington. You know, he doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't attempt to uh, defend himself against all these libel accusations. Uh, But by the end, you know, he does what a Christ figure does. He sacrifices himself to save humanity, and there's the promise of a resurrection. So I, I do think that is an affirmation of them saying, yes, you can reconcile evil with a good and powerful God if you have this Christian So my, my problem with this is that, and this is all smart and interesting, 
But we don't find out that that's really what Lex is trying to do until basically the end when he tells Superman this. But up until that point, he his claim that I suppose we're supposed to be skeptical towards his claim towards Holly Hunter's character is that it's for deterrence. But I guess we're meant to later believe that that's nonsense. And even still, the only way that I can really see that there's any personal stakes for him in wanting to do this is he makes a statement about how uh, he says, no man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations. So is it that like there's because his father was abusive to him and that like father figures have always let him down that he wants to dismantle the notion of a of a benevolent father figure if that's the case, why wait so late? And then my other problem is that leaves us for basically the bulk of the movie to believe that Batman and Superman, I'm sorry, Batman and Lex Luthor have the same motivation is to deter against Superman because he just has too much power. Why did you say that, Dad? Exactly. <laughs> so I would argue that uh, the whole Christological motif, even if it's not evident in Luther, is evident throughout the rest of the film uh, leading up to it. Because you have all the talking heads and news commentators and the committee meetings in Washington all questioning, like, should we treat this guy as a Jesus figure or not? And like you said, it, it's in the text. It's not in the subtext. I don't think that's necessarily a problem with the film like you guys do. But I, I do think that the film introduces those ideas. Uh, the fact that it's not shown that Lex Luthor is kind of manipulating everyone behind the scenes and causing everyone to be talking about this. I don't think that's a problem that it's revealed at the I end. I mean, our, 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 I mean, my problem, I think we're may, Ryan and I are mostly criticizing it in terms of like, you know, what, you it's know, most class, entertaining to watch. Well, or just classic filmmaking doctrine. It's, you know, there needs to be a conflict, the stakes need to be set, things need to move, and usually these questions are best presented to the audience through action rather than talking heads um so you know there's just not a lot of action that compels us to ask these questions rather it's just the questions are being presented to us directly yeah i guess my my problem at the thematic level is that i feel like you know how people that uh got really into richard dawkins and the new atheists would be like wait if if god is all powerful can you build a rock so big that even he can't lift it sort of questions which is they think they're being really clever and smart by presenting some sort of philosophical thing that no theologian has ever struggled with for the past 2,000 years, when really they're just reproducing <laughs> a very caricatured and basic form of philosophy. I feel like that's what Snyder's take on theodicy is. Because theodicy has a really rich, long tradition from Augustine to Irenaeus to more recently philosophers of religion like John Hick and Alvin Plantinga, who's a philosopher at Notre Dame. And... And they deal with it in very interesting ways, very complex wrestlings. But my my, and I don't think I'm just forcing this interpretation because I know a little bit more about Zack Snyder. I think it's there in the film. I think that his his own bias prevents him from truly wrestling with an interesting struggle with the the issue of theology. I mean, some people would say that theology per se is just the Odyssey. That theology is just in itself a wrestling with the human condition in light of you know the ability to think beyond the kind of complexities and anxieties of the material life that we live in and and he just doesn't show to me any sort of genuine sincerity or authenticity with actually wrestling with this point 
And I think he ends up ultimately bathing in, in nihilism. And I think that his his interpretation of the Christological figure is very akin to Nietzsche's criticism of Jesus in his criticisms of religion. Zack Snyder's Superman is just an active nihilist, unfortunately. He's a guy that has no grounding for his power. It's just an imposition of force or an imposition of will. And at one point, Batman even says this. He says, the world only makes sense if you force it to, which is literally... Now, I know that's not Superman that says that, but I think the whole the whole struggle between uh, Superman and the government is a struggle between from where do you derive your legitimate authority? And you have America that... They're embracing what Nietzsche would – we could call maybe like the imperfect nihilism, which is where you take like a regional discourse and you inflate it to the universal, right? America knows what's best sort of thing. So they're the ones who are going to control Superman. They're the arbiters of truth in the world. And then you have Superman who he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. The, the, maybe the best we get is at the end when he says to Lois Lane, you are my world, that he derives from his daddy issues. So is that really it? He just – he himself was – a bummed out child or because he has no place in the world. So he just chooses an arbitrary grounding upon which to legitimate his authority. That's just nihilism. And for me, that's just a really shallow philosophical approach to something that is much richer. And I think that could be handled with much more sensitivity. Now, you said that you know a little bit about Snyder personally. Uh, I don't know him except through the movies. Uh, what about him personally? Well, he's a very this? strong devotee to, uh, to Ayn Rand. And as a matter of fact, he's making The Fountainhead um, as, as his next film. It's I believe it's either in pre-production or in production right now. And so he's is it, definitely When you say devotee, does it just sense. mean he really likes it and is making The Fountainhead? Or like what – has he talked a lot about Quite it? Quite a bit in Ayn interviews, Rand? yeah. Really? Well, this was basically the subject of our What Went Wrong video on Batman v Superman and how so uh, not only Zack Snyder, but also Frank Miller was also very interested in Ayn Rand's work. And so when we see, uh, I think this version of Ben or this Ben Affleck's Batman was largely inspired by the Frank, the Frank Miller graphic novel in which Batman is a true kind of Randian individualist and he doesn't give a shit about the government. He... Uh, basically just does whatever he wants and uh, takes his authority from his own moral stature and does and doesn't derive it from anywhere else and we see that in this movie especially in the extended edition in the extended edition we see that he brands people and then when they go to jail they get shanked uh he says lines like we're criminals alfred we've always been criminals which is a line that he says more or less the same thing in the dark knight returns um so the weird thing happens with Superman, because Superman isn't the Superman of The Dark Knight Returns, in which he is a collectivist, in which he does derive his power from the government. In this one, he's just not really sure what he should be. He's not sure if he should answer to man. He's not sure if he should be their savior. He's not sure if he should just say fuck it and just worry about protecting Lois Lane. And at least our angle on the what went wrong was that there's not that ideological conflict between the two of them. But um, but yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Like, it's it's hard for me to say whether or not that would have made me enjoy the film more. Like, like you know, they always – like when you read John Truby's The Anatomy of Story, he's a really well-known script doctor in Hollywood. He says that one of the best ways to create a conflict being a, between a protagonist and an antagonist is that they have, like, competing goals for the same thing. They just have different ways at approaching it, right? So they're the inverse of one another. But you should be able to sympathize or empathize with the, the quote-unquote bad guy – because that person at least has a rationale that's kind of like, oh, but they still want, you know, like um, like in Daredevil, who, what's, who's the bad guy? Kingpin? What's his name? Um, 
Yeah, Fisk. Yes, Fisk. In in the TV series, I remember the thing that I thought was so compelling about him was that even though he was a bad dude and even though he sucked, you were like you were kind of like, yeah, but he wants the city to be better. He actually kind of cares about it. He just is, you know, he's got some some issues himself and he's got a very fucked up way of going about it, but you kind of buy into it a little bit or you at least you can. I did. And I just didn't get that here at all as being like, okay, they have this inverse struggle for the same sort of thing. And so maybe the conflict wasn't apparent. And then you take Luther and you're kind of like, what the fuck do you want to do? You just, you just are resentful. You know, I I don't know. It just, maybe that would have made it better. I I don't really know, but I, I totally see why, uh, why they kind of like pass one another and they don't actually make an interesting conflict. Well, Batman isn't the antagonist of the movie, despite the title. So the conflict really is between Superman and Luther. Uh, so the fact that, you know, he isn't, Batman isn't acting as this perfect uh, dark mirror to Superman, I don't think mm. is a structural flaw there. Uh, no, but I'm, I don't think it's necessarily a flaw, but I also would argue that Luther, d- I just, first of all, Jesse Eisenberg, I think it's his worst performance. He's, ba- he's not, not I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah, you know uh, who the word on the street is he he based it yeah, off Yeah, word of. on the street is he's doing a Max Landis impression, which is so lame, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, not many people, only people that would know him would know that. I think it's just in his inspiration. Well, I just think that it's a, it's a lame, I'm not saying that, like, whether or not, I'm just saying that Lex Luthor as, like, a, a nepotist, eccentric guy is just, not a Lex Luthor. I it was a see. bold choice, and I give Jesse credit for it. But yeah, it did not work. Yeah. So, irrespective of the performance, I think how he's written in the script uh, as a explicit misotheist, uh, someone that hates God, I think is an appropriate foil to a guy. I agree. Character. See, I agree Superman. with everything Matthew's saying. I would just say that it needs to be established earlier. We need to see it through action, not through something he says in the mm. in the end of the second mm-hmm. act. Like I, I I agree with you, Matthew. That like there like there are some really smart structural things going on here. But man, needs to be presented in a different way. Needs to be presented earlier. Needs to be presented through action. Yeah, yeah. Amen, I think I think brother. that I agree. I think everything that Matthew likes thematically about it, I could have liked thematically about it, were it handled in a different way. I mean, did you guys see? And I don't think this is one of his greatest movies, but did you see Silence by Scorsese? I loved it. Oh yeah, we love that. Okay, so he. He's dealing, Matthew, you might really like it because he's dealing with some similar themes, you know, crises of faith, death of God, kind of cultural relativism, you know, it's some very interesting thematic religious or theological concerns, but it was handled in a way that I think is, is much better, even though I don't really think of Scorsese as somebody who, I mean, I know he's Catholic and I know he has been trying to make this film forever and it's probably got some sort of cathartic element for him but i don't necessarily think of him as being like this brilliant uh, thematic thinker you know more as like a formal expert who's really good with character and other things but i think that that film does something that that snyder was trying to do and it could just be it could just be because he's younger it could be because he was trying to do a little too much it could be because he doesn't quite have uh didn't quite have the tools or the language to be able to articulate what he was trying i don't know but it just seemed that the execution, for me, didn't quite articulate what what it did for for Matthew in particular. So I, w- I want to break down some of the things. So I want to start with what Ryan uh, started with. So I want to see if we can break down some of these things that were like frustrating and confusing, essentially. So uh, what was it? That first quote. He says, uh, "What's the one about diamond absolutes? Where do I have that?" Um, 
I have it. Yeah. Can you read that again? There was a time above, a time before. There were perfect things, diamond absolutes. But things fall, things on earth. And what falls is fallen. Okay, what does that mean? I, that was my no, no, original I, I, question in this I, podcast. Well, I think it's an allusion to the fall in Christianity, right? What has fallen literally or physically, let's say, or even metaphorically is fallen in its nature. What has fallen is corrupted. So the second fallen is about corruption or degradation. And this would go to Matthew's point earlier about theodicy. Uh, it's... It's that if there was a pristine time before, uh, the things that have fallen to earth, that have come down to the material level, those things are now corrupted and degraded. And so now we have uh, an imperfect world, whereas before there was a perfect world. It's a, it's a brief encapsulation or story of the fall in the Old Testament narrative. So this is referencing the painting that uh, Lex it's like the it's 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 the final thing the final image in the movie yeah uh, that Lex is always referring to he says you know the devils don't come from below they fall from the sky so is this just Batman basically foreshadowing that just as I have fallen in a sense that now I've been doing this stuff in Gotham for so many years and now I'm kind of corrupt and violent and you know the same thing could happen to Superman even someone as idealistic as me can fall therefore Superman can fall therefore you know, if there's even a 1% chance, we got to kill him. Yeah, because... It... See, I, I don't think it's really motivating Batman's character. I, I'm kind of surprised that he's even the one narrating. I think Snyder just wanted to bookend the movie with uh, Genesis and mm. Revelation. So you have this retelling of the Genesis story at the very first quote, and then the final picture of the demons coming down from the sky, like in this apocalypse, you know, that is foreshadowing. That's, you know, mm. Revelation right there. And... Everything in you know what? I didn't even routine. catch the uh, the book ending bit, and now that you mentioned that, you know Batman's nightmares that he has with those fucking demon things flying out of the sky. Those are all very yeah, what the fuck is sort that? of apocalyptic images, right, Matthew? I would, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are. That's coincidental, though. Obviously, Snyder might be doing it purposefully, but uh, the parademons. Uh, have existed in DC comic lore for a long time. They've had that same design. That's being taken more so out of the recent comics than... Uh, it's not just like, oh, he saw this painting and he wants to do okay. a sci-fi demon. That's not original mm. to Snyder. And then so the next line he says is... Um, in the dream, it took me to the light. Thank you. A beautiful lie. So what does that mean? So to me... <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine, dude. He says, in the dream, in the dream they took me into the light. It, a took, beautiful... it took me to the light. I'm sorry. A beautiful lie. I so, and when 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 we see that it's this is when the bats are like twirling around him and they're elevating him to light. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Well, so the way I read this was kind of like the the this idea of the bats saving him from the angst of his parents dying reflects this kind of beautiful lie of like a god figure or Superman as mankind's savior. And so just as you know, it's a beautiful lie that helps him cope, but I think that in the same... This is why, like, Lex and Batman have the same motivation, because Batman wants to tear down the beautiful lie. Exactly. The beautiful lie being that Superman can be all-powerful and all-good. That's essentially how I took it, too. It, kind of like how you were talking about earlier, uh, Austin, like, it's just nihilism. Like, yeah, I just get from that that, that people think, Batman and Lex are the nihilists. Yes, yes. Right. 
Yeah, and it's a lie. Even if and if and even if it comforts people, it's still a lie. And even if and fuck that. <laughs> There's a line where uh, Lex says. Lex is speaking at his fundraiser, and he says, Prometheus went with us, and he ruined Zeus's plan to destroy mankind, and for that, he was given a thunderbolt. Choo! Uh, <laughs> so I guess, like, and I think that so much of the language in this movie is very deliberate, so kind of like like Prometheus, who challenged the divinity of Zeus, Lex challenges the notion of Superman's de- benevolence and all-powerfulness, I, I guess is what he's going for. So he sees himself as a Prometheus figure. Mm. Yeah. And this is not even the first time that Superman movies have made that connection between Luther and Prometheus. Uh, in uh, Brian Singer's Superman Returns, that's basically the first five minutes of the movie where he talks about the myth of Prometheus and, you know, gods are, you know, think of themselves as, you know, saviors in little red capes and we gotta steal the fire from them. Early in the movie, when we see Batman for the first time or we see Batman on a mission or something, somebody... It's when Superman to him as, refers to him as the devil. Oh. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Like he's saving some like trafficked Vaguely. women or something like that, and they're calling him the devil or something. Vaguely. I didn't. Yeah. So I mean, but then later Lex says, "If God won't kill man, I'm sorry. If man won't kill God, then the devil will do it." And he creates Doomsday. So I, I was at the beginning. I was reading the movie of Are we supposed to believe that? Batman has kind of become the devil. He is the fallen angel that just wants to make sure that there isn't another one of him or something. I, I think that this whole that that how Batman is introduced into this new DC canon is really a big reason why it sucks. This movie is because, like, for one, okay, we just got the Dark Knight trilogy right mm-hmm. a couple of years before, and then all of a sudden, all right, Ben Affleck's going to be, be Batman, but we don't get any. Not only do we not really get the origin story, which I'm not saying we need again, but but they just cut so far into the future where he's just a grizzle. It's like it's like we're supposed to just say, oh yeah, we know what Batman's done, and he's just this grizzled guy. But you, I don't, I don't feel like it was earned at all because you just see him. He's just pissed from the beginning of the movie till the end, you know. And and there's no, I wish, I wish we got a little bit of a montage of just Ben Affleck pre this movie. You know, that that to set up his character, because, yeah, I just felt and also I hate Ben Affleck's performance. And I really like Ben Affleck in in, in most in a lot of movies. That's the one thing that most people were into. Right. All he does is just grimace (laughs) and then just talk like this. Like, 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 I don't I think anyone could have done that. He all he was was just Ben Affleck on a screen. Um, So, no, I don't think he, he wasn't charming at all. For me, I thought that was probably the hardest role to actually fit into, especially right off. Right Other cr- people like, have done it great. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, Christian Bale is still in the common consciousness. Like, it's less than three years ago. He did a great job at the part, arguably some people's favorite Batman, and now you got to do something that's different but still believable. But he and... didn't really do that much different. He just basically like, all right, I'm going to double well, down on how older, pissed he he's is. He's the older kind of Frank Miller-ish Batman. And and I, I, the one thing I'll disagree with is I like kind of the— I, I I hesitate to use the word subtle in anything in this movie, but he says things like we've got a, a problem in bat or we have a history of clowns dressed like or freaks dressed yeah. like clowns in the city. And we, we see the image of Robin's suit with haha jokes on you. We see that Robin has died. We can see all it is is a shot. We don't have to see him cry about like, you know, I used to be good, but then Robin died and the Joker took him away from me and fuck that. You know, like, we don't we don't have to see. see that. I feel like if you're gonna if you're going to do old Batman, old grizzled pissed Batman, get an old fucking guy that's actually has charisma. Get someone like 
Jack Nicholson ten years ago, or or Sean Penn, <laughs> or maybe you know, George or something Clooney can like that. Where the role is that what you're suggesting? Oh uh, yeah. yeah, like With like somebody nipples. that was old that like, but also you you know had like charisma. Like Ben Affleck just is so monotonous the whole time. I don't know if that's the right. You know, one of, I, I'm actually curious. So monotone. About this. I mean, I had a problem with some of the casting with both Henry Cavill and with Batman for this reason. They're too imposing physically. I thought that when they're not in their outfits, when they're just in their street dress, like th- at one point, Lawrence Fishburne refers to Henry Cavill or Clark Kent as being a nerd, and I'm like, look at him. He put glasses on him. The guy is. St- Stacked in his suit. Like, you can tell yeah. when a dude, you can't just put a couple layers on him and be like, oh, the guy, it's clearly schlubby. No, Henry Cavill is jacked like a mofo. And then obviously the, the workout scene with, with Ben Affleck is ridiculous how jacked he got for this movie. And you can see that as well. Yeah. So I wonder, do you think that there is a problem with the casting? We already talked about Jesse Eisenberg. I like Amy Adams in this, but do you think that there was something maybe problematic with that as well that kind of it just kind of snaps your attention out of it a little bit and when you have a hundred of those the best I mean, cast Brand, person, brandon routh was no less jacked the or, best cast person who we haven't even talked about yet is fucking wonder woman which i'm i'm ex- oh gal gadot I, yeah. yeah i think she's great but like like i'm in and her thing is just totally tacked in there you know but they just like, did yeah. that like entire... i think jared says it in the what went wrong video where it's basically it's kind of a ploy to establish the franchise, right? To establish the justice. Totally, League yeah, film. super it's, obvious. It, it's totally yeah. the it's Samuel L. Jackson at the end of the Avengers or but, whatever. But in the actual uh, movie, or at the end of Iron Man or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Austin, yeah. to your point about casting, though, one of the things I've always loved about comics, one of the many things, is that they draw the human body in its right. idealized form, and I think this is a faithful <laughs> translation of that yeah. onto screen. No, really, and there's an aspirational aspect to it, like, oh man. Man, I gotta get as jacked as Captain America or Thor. Like, I like that comic book movies have moved past the direction of, yeah, Chris Reeve, he's kind of buff. I can kind of see him as Superman too. Oh no, that is the Superman from the comic page, abs and all. Oh, yeah, or like Michael Keaton wasn't exactly physically imposing. Yeah, oh, I, I hate. I love that, Keaton man. as Batman. <laughs> that was probably my second see, favorite. He's behind a Christian perfect Bale. Batman, you know, like like because he's yeah, he's just got it all, you know. But I, I mean, I don't know the comics certainly not as well as Matthew, but I mean. In the comics, Batman is like he's basically like an Adonis. Yeah, he's like jacked. he is the optimized human being. Mm-hmm. Square jaw. That's why the Rock should be like. like. And Bruce Wayne is also too. No one really questions the fact that Bruce Wayne is, you know, a I kind of I, I can see well. that though. Uh, Clark Kent, yeah, he does supposed to wear like baggy clothes. He's supposed to hide it and slouch, and that's just you know. Poor costume design, poor acting <laughs> on the part of Cavill. Like, yeah. that could have been corrected for, obviously. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Bruce Wayne one doesn't bug me, because if you're like a billionaire playboy, yeah, I, I believe that you've got a personal trainer and access to Mexican supplements, so you're probably pretty jacked. But, uh, you know, the the Clark Kent one, I think, is the one where whenever I saw him in a suit, I was like, that guy's not a nerd. That guy's still, he's still ridiculously good-looking and huge. <laughs> yeah. Just to sh- uh, talk... Fair point. I'll, I'll agree on that one. Just to actually. talk more about the uh, just the scope and the ambition of this movie, there's a subplot, or I don't even know if you'd call it a subplot, where, with uh, Perry Mason and news sensationalism. Uh, that you know, what is it? He's so cynical. He's always Clark is always trying to tell him that he should be talking about Batman and how Batman is abusing civil rights or something like that. And Clark will say, when uh, you're choosing who to pay attention to, you're telling people who to care about. 
And then he says things like, the American conscience died with Robert, Martin, and John, and which I, I still don't entirely understand that quote. I think he's talking about three, like uh, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and John F. Kennedy, I, I guess. Like the yeah. three three like classic liberals who have been assassinated or something. I don't I don't really know what he means no, by that. Just but just figures, to, but, but just silly. like the, the, there's just such scope and ambition of trying to kind of fit everything profound they can possibly think of into this movie including like news sensationalism right. seems kind of out of place but interesting. Mess. Yeah, it snapped me out of it too. I, I thought uh, and I was curious because you guys just watched Network and you just did that that episode and I was curious actually to what you guys thought about that element. Because, you know, there's the bits where they've got Nancy Grace talking in the background and then someone from CNN and then they've got uh, fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson at some point talking about musing about like our place in the universe and shit like that. And that's why I said I felt like it was Snyder's attempt to do a theory of everything is he wants to literally cover everything from geopolitics to media theory to human nature to theodicy. And I just it, I don't know. It, 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 maybe if it wasn't like cliche forced on the nose dialogue that they cut to in the media clips it wouldn't have been as bad but it was like nobody in the media actually talks that way and i know it's film dialogue rather than naturalistic dialogue and and it's okay like tarantino does film dialogue not naturalistic dialogue and it and it works but there's a difference between film dialogue and then caricatured film dialogue and this was just overly caricatured film dialogue of of media personalities i thought the thing that snapped me out of that scene actually was uh, how meta it got. And it's the only time that the movie gets meta at all. You have Perry White saying, it's not 1938 anymore. No one cares about Clark Kent taking on the bat. And they're winking at the camera like, oh, Superman was created in 1938. And audience here is obviously here to see Clark Kent um, take on the bat. Uh, right, right, yeah. That's, yeah, that it just didn't fit with anything else in the film. Like, this isn't Deadpool. Why mm. was it trying to be in that one scene? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that winky shit. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> I love it in most movies, but it has to be like essential to the movie, like and not just one off, and then they never go back to the idea again. Yeah. I'm curious, Ryan, why you think that Gal Gadot was so was so good? Why do I like her? Well, I'm not. Why do you like her? I mean, I think that's very obvious reason why uh, any <laughs> straight red blooded male no. would like her. But uh, in this particular film, in particular, why you thought she was successful, or was it Jared that said you thought that she was that that character? Was no, no, no. I, I, I like. I think she's well cast as the character. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I really liked Wonder Woman the movie, or, or her part in it, and just kind of her fish out of waterness, you know, because that's what the movie. Uh, obviously, this is about Wonder Woman, but like, like there was a a serious character being serious put in a situation where her seriousness was funny. You know, that's right. we need more stuff like that in comic book movies. Yeah, I the, say so the DCEU, man. She I was mean, a good actress in, the, in those scenes. You know, just going from this, I mean, not not that these movies came right one right after the other, but going from this and then watching the Justice League, it's sad. I, and there are a lot of people on the internet who are like, I want to see the Snyder Cut if it exists. And I, I do too, man. I'm curious because did yeah, you that, see Justice League, Ryan? No, no. It's sad because... It tries to, like, abrasively be the anti-Batman v. Superman. Like, take out all ambition, take out all thematic weight, and just try to be as much of a fun, lighthearted Marvel movie as possible, and they still missed. So, yeah. They're fucked mm. up over there at DC, man. They're fucking up hard over What's there. What's the theory about uh, about Snyder's cut? Is it supposed to be more dark and thematic and stuff? Well, you know the backstory behind the production of that film? 
you know, how his, he had a family tragedy and had to get off the movie and Joss yeah. Whedon took it over. So, like, uh, I mean, who knows what that movie would have But they took out, out like. 40 minutes and reshot a lot of it. Well, right, that's what I'm saying. This, so who knows what the original intent was. I mm. would imagine... I imagine they were going to continue with some of the thematic uh, motifs from Batman v Superman. And, you know, even if you guys say it's a swing and a miss, he still would have swung yeah. you know, with his... Uh, more intellectual take but you don't even have that because Wheaton reshot all of those scenes like the resurrection scene you know what you would anticipate as being another Christological motif you know okay here's the Easter of Superman you know but no it's just a whole bunch of science fiction techno babble and it's just a resuscitation and it it's weird it's yeah, and at the end of the day, I I would rather have this film than the Justice League. I would rather have Batman v Superman, an ambitious intellectual film that fails, than the Justice League, which is frivolous and still fails. Do you think there's something inherently difficult about judging franchises that are 15, 20 films long? I mean, however long they are, by their individual installments, like like that, it's it's almost being uncharitable to the process. You know, like when you watch a TV Not series, really. some Marvel weeks does there's well. going to be a good episode, and some weeks there's going to be a bad episode. But since these are these massive long term franchises, do you think there's something that's like a little bit unfair to subject them to the normal film criticism? No, <laughs> okay. I mean they still they they they, they <laughs> still have to be good individual movies in their right. own right. I mean you're going to the yeah. theater and you're paying. A ticket price for a single movie and all the marvel movies still have a three-act structure with an arc that makes you right. feel satisfied I'm at not the paying end. For except for the except for infinity war but i mean even that works to a, lo- a degree but yeah i mean i guess it just makes it hurt that much more like i would be kind of more in your camp austin if it wasn't that they try and like change course thematically so abrasively within this DCEU because now it is really like you're watching five disparate movies that seem connected but are tonally do not make sense. That's one thing you can say. That's a really something you got you to gotta give props to the Marvel movies because they've been directed by so many different filmmakers and yet tonally they all feel like they're in the same family. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck Kevin Feige did that. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's an amazing feat. Well, Justice League is even worse off for being, uh, if it had just been Josh Wheaton changing direction, you know, from the script onward, and you never had any of Snyder in there, it would have been a better movie, as different of a course change as it was, but because they, it's halfway through, it's 40% uh, Wheaton, 60% Snyder, uh, you can see the course change within the individual scenes back and forth, and that's what makes that particular episode fail, not just the whole cinematic Mm. universe there. I I almost wonder if, the DC franchise is kind of the, this is like the television equivalent of jumping the shark, right? Like they are just hanging on for dear life, even though the series is past its, its relevance because of whatever reasons. And so they're trying to maintain it now just because they kind of have to. And so they can make money and shit like that. But they're at that point where it's like, all right, you're in season seven and eight now, but nobody really cares, but we're still going to tune in because we want to see how lost ends or something along those lines. Jumping the shark is when you have some a foundation of something that people are invested in, and then people you take it too far. Like Marvel can jump the shark at this point because people are invested. DC never had anything; they don't have fucking anything here, but they're just trying. Well, the Dark Knight with all their the might to try and make every yeah, movie well, like it, a. Dip, Ryan's talking thing. about the DCEU. I okay. remember reading an article 
that said that the Dark Knight was the biggest mistake that DC ever made because it basically set a standard that they could never replicate. That's their problem. Yeah, that, I know. It's not, that's a, <laughs> yeah. I, I disagree with that sentiment. Uh, and my, this last thing I want to say before we sign off is uh, my theory about Christopher Nolan. You know, even in this conversation, whenever we're talking about something going wrong with this movie, we blame it on Zack Snyder. But this entire idea of the uh, theological and the philosophical layers of this film. I don't know, man. Christopher Nolan has a producer credit on this movie, Man of Steel. I think that Christopher Nolan said, wow, I did a great job on The Dark Knight. Now I'm going to sit in a room with Zack Snyder and we're going to hash out the intellectual backbone. And he basically, I, I mean, my theory is that Christopher Nolan is responsible for this interpretation of Batman and Superman, specifically Superman. And he just kind of gave it to Zack Snyder and he ran along with it. And you could say that Zack Snyder fucked it up in the execution, but... I think that Christopher Nolan is kind of sitting in the corner, not getting any blame for this. Key question. I doubt, perhaps he, I doubt he did much is at Jonathan all, Nolan credited as a producer? That I, I don't think so. I, I, Maybe. I would bet he would be. Um, Even if he wasn't, if they're brothers, I'm sure Chris you know, probably called Jonathan and said, yo, man, I'm meeting with Zach tomorrow. What do I say? I Well, maybe. I, I'd be very surprised if there's a lot of Nolan in the DNA of these yeah. two films, just because of how grounded his trilogy was and how not grounded this new trilogy is. I just don't think that he would offer such a radically different interpretation of Batman, uh, whatever his thoughts on Superman might have been. So I, I think it's literally just his name, producer credit, and that's the totality. See, I remember seeing, I remember seeing some sort guess. of interview where Christopher Nolan says something like, yeah, I've been... I, I'm not, I don't know what this accent's coming from. Yeah, I've been talking with Zach about how do you adapt Superman, you know, make it really successful. And I think we figured it out. Yeah, so, they fucked up. Well, they didn't. Yeah, um, but I have in closing. In closing, of uh, 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 all you need to make a good Batman vs. Super Batman vs. Superman should have been three scenes. It should have been a Batman. A Batman training montage, a Superman training montage, and then a Batman and Superman fight scene. And really, what we got was just a lame fight in a in a anonymous warehouse at the end of a three hour snooze fest. Anyway, so uh, uh, but we cannot end this podcast without having some sort of a brief philosophical discussion about Martha. Why Martha? <laughs> that Zack Snyder. His literal thematic climax to his movie is, oh my God, Batman and Superman's mom have the same name. Probably the biggest who gives a shit moment in movie history, I would say. But what do you have to say about it, Jerry? It's been very iconic, been very memefied, and yeah, it's not a good moment. It's not a good moment. What does it mean thematically? I, I guess it's How does it relate to Genesis or something? Oh, I don't know about that, but I, I guess that Batman just sees that, uh, I guess, if he has as human of an emotion as I do, then he's just as human as me, and he can work for love like I work for love. Oh, my God, love. names I, sometimes hey, get hey, used. Hey, quick question. What was Jesus' mother's name? Mary. Mary. We just figured it out. Mary Martha. Martha. Mary. Oh my God. That, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Matt Matthew, what do you got on this? Uh, actually, uh, earlier versions of Superman's mother was uh, named Mary in one of. I think it was uh, the like the pilot episode of that one, uh, or she went, might have been Sarah in that one. Uh, 
that it wasn't Jonathan and uh, Martha to begin with. That eventually came later. Uh, I know in one, uh, they are like Joseph and oh, Mary, wow. and that was just another one of those accidental happenstance things. Sort of like his last name being L, which is the Hebrew word for God. Well, no, it was originally just the letter L. Uh, Schuster and Siegel meant nothing by it. Uh, just like with the whole, her name originally being Mary, no one meant anything by it. It wasn't like a reference to Mary, the mother of God. Hmm. Yeah, but in, ter- in, term- in terms of... Martha! <laughs> in terms of... And, and, uh, oh, in terms yeah, yeah. of Martha? I, I have no problem with that scene. Uh, I, I think that what Jared said about just reaffirming uh, the humanity that Batman hadn't pri- previously seen in when he was just looking at this alien overlord. I, I hear uh, yeah, you, I but think... what a paradigm shift from I'm about to kill this man or this god <laughs> to save humanity to... Let's team up, bro. Your ne- you know? your mom's name is Martha. Let's team up, bro. I mean, it would have to well, be. I mean, he just your name needed. Is ne- he just needed something to be able to explain to him the thing that he'd been trying to explain to him during the beginning of the fight scene, which was, "Hey, dude, relax. Lex Luthor is the one that's manipulating this whole thing." And so it was like the thing that got his attention, so that he snapped out of his blind rage. Right, but Batman wanted to kill him independent of Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor was not manipulating Batman from the beginning of the movie to want to kill him. Batman said that, hey, man, this guy could fall like I did or like we've seen millions of people do here in Gotham, so let's fucking kill him. And then all of a sudden he says, eh. (laughs) Martha. Kit from the comment (laughs) section says, I think it's meaninglessness is a reflection of the movie as a whole. Couldn't agree more, Kit. I'm curious. It's, it's metal I wanna, like that. Everyone in the comments section, just tell us in one word, like or hate. That's it. Just just go down. I'm going to guess like just hate, from the I'm comments really I've seen, it's going to be a lot of hate. what people thought about this beyond our little quad group right here. And I'm curious. It has some from, evangelic, yeah. evangelists in the comments for sure. Yeah. I'm finding that, uh, so, you know, interestingly enough, and we're, we're, we're about to sign off, but there seems to be like this cyclical nature of kind of like hating things on the internet. So the thing that's been shocking me lately is that we recently did a video on what went wrong with the Phantom Menace. And there were so many videos saying the Phantom Menace is way better than the force awakens, the last Jedi or rogue one. And I'm just like, what, what, what world are we living in where star Wars fans are defending the Phantom Menace? It's a small and loud minority. I don't, I mean, maybe, but even the fact that that minority exists is crazy. And I feel like with Batman v Superman, same thing. Once everyone starts hating it, that's going to like breed a new, (laughs) new generation of hipsters that start liking it. I'm not saying that you can't like it. If you like it, you like it. That's fine. I'm just saying that there is a reactionary element to this. The votes have poured in like a waterfall. Um, (laughs) And I would say that they, how would I describe this? It's, I'd say a hate waterfall sprinkled with love. People (laughs) people love this movie. Some people do. You know, yeah, you know, you know, Zack Snyder. With one guy saying I banged my stepmom. Anyway, keep going. Just randomly. Zack Snyder, in closing, thank you for trying to make a profound Batman v Superman movie. We need more profound superhero movies. I just wish- The execution was a little bit better, but thank you for your attempt. That's Dear Zach, what I'll say. please take a break, dude. Take do anything He's else. He's taking a break do right now. Do anything else but a superhero movie. Just yeah, no, go is, go go read Ayn Rand again. Honest, Start. If if he really is into to Ayn Rand and he really is committed to that, like just in emotionally, then I'm really curious. Even though I think that Ayn Rand is a charlatan, I'm really curious to see what he can pull off with this film. I might hate watch it, but I might actually enjoy it for its ambition. 
Oh, I'm definitely. Well, I mean, it. the only reason he's making it is to make money. If I he watch. Is, if I, he isn't Ayn Rand, I don't believe that he's. Um, I mean, he can. Well, make then he's not. He in, then he's then then he's not an objectivist. <laughs> because every because because his uh, hey, they're all about happiness. It doesn't have to be about financial happiness. <laughs> Ayn Rand was miserable anyway. as fuck. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not talking about her. I'm just saying that 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 I'm talking about his point about Zack Snyder. But uh, uh, I'll watch yeah. anything he'll fucking put out. I mean, I love his early shit. Three hundred, I love it. Dawn of the Dead, love it. Watchmen, we love it. I love mean, it. Sucker Punch, uh, didn't uh, see it. But you know, everything. I, I really enjoy his filmmaking work. I just really, w- and I even like Man of Steel. I just really thought this was the biggest yeah. whiff ever on everyone's mm. part. I don't like Man of Steel. I don't like a lot of his work. I like a lot of his work, but I don't think that he deserves to be the punching bag that he's been for the last couple of years. Well, mm. I think he made a shitty movie that we all need to scream from the mountaintops and declare as shit like it is, but hey, I'll give him more credit, you know? He, he hasn't only made shitty movies, is all I'm saying. Yeah. If it was other people, you know, I wouldn't give him a pass. Okay. Well, with that, we're going to sign off, guys. So just as a reminder, uh, give us those last four reviews on iTunes, and then we'll be at 500. We're going to do the call-in, or we're going to talk about our least favorite movie ever. Uh, just in case we don't make it to 500, uh, next week we are doing uh, The Matrix Revolution. So we're completing The oh Matrix Trilogy. Wow. So, yeah, this is <laughs> this is going to be uh, <laughs> well, we two of Ryan's. Dude, we just did Network. We just did <laughs> Akira. Right. We That's just did right. some fucking good-ass movies in a row. So we got to get... You're some, right. some of the rotten some more vegetables out of the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a defender of revolutions, too. So. Oh, okay. Oh, my Good to God. Know. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're signing off. Thanks for listening. And as always, peace. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Martha! Why did you say that, Nick? Laters. See y'all. <laughs> <laughs>